Your clothes need a detergent as active as you are. Wynn's sports detergent removes sweat, oils, bacteria, and salts from your workout wearer so it feels, and perhaps more importantly, smells fresh as new. Save 20% off any Wynn products on Amazon using code AMRGOWIN. That's all one word. Limit one redemption per customer. Again, that code on Amazon is AMRGOWIN. A-M-R-G-O-W-I-N. Welcome to AMR Trains, hosted by me, Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. We tackle a host of training-related topics on this podcast, and today we're focusing on an area that many of us endurance athletes don't like but need to address, and that is strength training. To help us unpack the hows and whys of strength training, we're headed out to Seattle, where we hear it's a little gloomy, um, to hang with Dr. Ellie Summers, owner of Sisu Sports Performance and Physical Therapy. In addition to being a physical therapist, Ellie is a USATF Level 1 Certified Run Coach and a USA Weightlifting Level 1 Certified Weightlifting Coach. But I like her DIY bio the most, which is this. I am an athlete, a physical therapist, a performance coach, and a fierce advocate for better care, particularly for women. So welcome, Ellie. We are so glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you. Awesome. So first, give us a little background on yourself. You were a soccer player growing up, is that right? Yeah, I played soccer for forever and then ended up playing Division One soccer at St. Louis University. Um, so that's yes. my background in sports. Was, did you, um, were you a runner growing up at all or did you kind of um, segue your soccer skills into running? Yeah, you know, I did, I did track for a little while when I was in junior high. Um, and okay. then, you know, you get to the age where you kind of have to start to pick one thing or another. Um, and at that time, I was playing also volleyball. So through high school, I played soccer and volleyball. State champion volleyball player right here. Woohoo! Congrats! <laughs> yeah, That's awesome! Thank you. <laughs> um, and soccer was what, you know, drove me and um, what motivated me to be active in sport. And it, you know, as a soccer player, you have to run all the time. And so I've just always been a runner kind of on the side, but it was, you know, before my adult life, it was more for training for soccer. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and I was just reading on your blog right before we connected um, about how you recently finished your first 25K. Um, so is that your first race or kind of tell us about your running background? So after I graduated college, um, I started getting into running because it was easy, you know, easy access. Um, It was something I knew how to do and was fairly good at. And so I trained for half marathons primarily, um, off and on throughout that, basically since my adult life. So I've been out of college now for over 10 years um, and have been consistently doing halves, I would say. Okay. And just last year, well, two years ago, I injured my Achilles and sort of fell out of running for a little while and then got back into it last year and decided I wanted an, a very solid reason to train through the winter. Okay. Yeah. We, <laughs> we can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. And so I signed up for this 25 K as a way to do that, um, and try something new. So that's how I ended up doing a little bit longer than a half. Nice. And was that a trail race? It was a trail race. Yes. Yeah. So how did it go? It was really fun. Um, yeah. Terribly muddy and wet because it was in the Northwest. 
but I would say for my first trail race, it was a huge success. I placed second in my age group. And even though trail runs, they don't really do that. No, no, it's much more casual. Yeah, much more casual. It was kind of a goal I had set for myself was just like, you know, I know trail running is not that serious about it, but I just want to like be in it. Yeah. Um, And so it was really fun. It was a good experience. That's awesome. Congratulations. Do you have another, do you have another race on your docket? So next up for me is going to be triathlon. Uh, Oh, okay. Sort of my year for testing the waters and what I really want to enjoy. Uh, so I've got a triathlon on the books and then a marathon at the end of the year. That'll be my first marathon. Sweet. Um, well, we are here to talk strength training. Um, and if I, I was, you know, thinking about it, trying to kind of put it in some kind of terms that like, we're not just like, you must strength train, but I think of it kind of as the equivalent of like flossing and like running the, running the miles is brushing our teeth. we all do that because it makes you feel better. Minty mouth, you know, kind of refreshes your spirit, but flossing is an extra step, right? That requires more equipment, more time. Um, and if you're healthier, you have a good mouth. It feels a little like why bother, right? Yeah. Is that, is that accurate in your mind? Yeah. You know, you can become a really good runner without it. And so okay. I think there's, there's a lot of still debate as to like whether or not runners need to strength train in order to improve their performance. Um, and for me as a physical therapist, as a coach, I think I tend to look at it at, it, uh, at a bit of a broader view, I guess okay. I would say, which is more that it's not going to be just about performance, but about the person in front of us and why they might benefit from it. And for women, the benefits are just incredibly great throughout throughout our lives in terms of bone health, um, developing lean mass, and just maintaining overall cardiovascular, mental, physical health and well-being throughout the lifespan of a female athlete. And so, you know, if I have, you know, I don't work necessarily with the highest, most elite level athletes, but if I have an athlete who is trying to improve performance, strength training is going to be integrated in there in some capacity so that we can help her build confidence. Um, a lot of times it affords women the ability to feel like their tissues can handle the demands of their sport, especially if they've been injured in the past. Sure, sure. Well, and we, we um, you know, this podcast definitely goes out. We say we leave from the middle of the pack. Um, you know, we're definitely not, um, you know, uh, taking, taking uh, away prize money most, yeah. most days or ever, really, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but uh, but uh, you didn't mention in- injury prevention. And I feel like that's like the number one. Is that, is that correct or am I wrong in thinking that way? I think it's a fool's game to assume that strength training can prevent injury. Okay. Uh, we still don't have great evidence to suggest that it's going to, mostly okay. because we can't predict injury. With that, though, I think there are more contextual reasons that it, that it can do good preventative work. Um, so, for example, a lot of women, as we age, we end up with like tenderness issues. Um, so things like tendinopathy high hamstring pain, gluteal tendinopathy, Achilles tendinopathy. And strength training can be a way to build our tendinous tissues up as we continue to be active and engaged in more like explosive loading types of sports, which hypothetically can reduce our risk of sustaining an injury. For runners though, injury risk is really about managing that person and their training loads 
and their understanding of how to modify workouts accordingly. Um, and so I, I'm very cautious to make it about prevention all the way sure. because it just it has way more robust benefits than just prevention. And sure, I think that is a potential piece of it hasn't been necessarily proven and backed by science. Okay. Well, and let's just take a quick step back because I mean, when I say strength training, um, you're a physical therapist as well. I mean, I think of it as like um, everything from like clamshells to like squats with weights, right? Like I think about anything that is like extra that's not endurance related where I'm not out doing the same motion over and over. Is that kind of how you define it? Or do you think of it more as like physical therapy moves and then like strength training in the gym moves? That's a great question. So I tend to approach it from, we need to make sure if we're doing it from a true strength perspective, we have to be loading the tissues enough to, to achieve tissue adaptations. And that's okay. like from a physical therapist standpoint and a coach's standpoint, what we're trying to achieve is just building that lean mass. And we know that you have to have load in order to do that and pretty heavy loads. And I think that's where like it can be a little bit fluid and gray is that um, runners, you know, you don't want to do heavy lifting a lot of the time, especially if it's going to make you sore for a run. And so we'll integrate things like drills, like clamshells and other exercises that um, can improve tissue capacity, but won't necessarily gear be geared towards improving strength. So I tend to think of it as like a bit of a pyramid at the bottom is tissue capacity. And that's just like being able to tolerate certain things. The next level is going to be for me, like strength, true strength. And then the top level is going to be power. And that's as you go up the pyramid, everything should just get heavier. And I think for a robust athlete, trying to capture something at every level is kind of what you want to be aiming for. That might change though, based on your training cycle. So if you're in peak training, for example, we're probably going to be really focused on um, like lower level strength stuff and maybe Mm. some more power specific moves uh, depending on the person. Okay. So that tissue capacity, I mean, that's where, I mean, we do a lot of, um, strength, like we have uh, circuits in the train, like a mother club, and we do a lot of different circuits and many happy miles. And I, I spend a lot of time doing a lot of body weight stuff, like, you know, um, well, like clamshells, planks, um, like uh, step downs, you know, a lot of one-legged stuff like balance and one leg, you know, not, not with weights. Um, I mean, it's hard, right. Yeah. But it's not building the, like it's, like you said, it's not building a load. Like, is that, yeah. is that, I mean, like that's your, your basic level, right? So that's a great place to to start, but it sounds like you could add some more. Is that yes, right? Yes. Okay. I think um, I was just reading an article today, actually, that showed that women tend to weights that are lower than what would produce the adaptations we seek. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I think generally I, my mission and the work that I do with my clients is trying to coach them steadily towards being comfortable under heavy loads. Um, And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that, you know, runners think like women think too, just that heavy loads are going to make them big, which, you know, and then there's like the stigma of weight and size and body size being an issue towards speed and, and all of these things that come with it. But the reality is, is that's not how it works. Um, And in fact, by getting under heavy load, we can produce lean mass, which makes us more efficient with things like running 
Um, and that's kind of the work that I do now is helping women get comfortable with where those limits are, what it feels like to do a squat under a heavy load sure. and simplifying it. Um, Cause I think that can be a little bit scary too. It's like, what do I do at the gym? You know, well, let's just keep it simple. One or two moves under heavy load and you're going to be good to go. Well, yeah. So talk about it. if someone's listening and they're like, oh, I'm interested in trying that and they don't live in Seattle. I mean, how do you, I mean, because form, right, is so important to not get hurt and to, and to not, and to recruit the right muscles, right? Yeah. So how do we like, you know, how do you get from, okay, I'm really good at doing my body weight stuff at home to, okay, I'm going to go hit the the racks at the gym with all the yeah. intense muscle heads, right? Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate that people that come to see me, I'm introducing that stuff to them. Okay. Um, I have remote clients though too. And generally there's like, you know, there's some like ways that we progress that. And usually it's just starting with something simple and easy to use. So if in my experience, runners don't love to go to the gym, right? No. We don't love the space. <laughs> so I typically recommend people like that who really just don't want to go there, buy yourself a kettlebell or two, and we can teach you so many different movements just by doing that. Um, and in terms of like the skill of the movements, I think, again, that's like another barrier that women face is like, sure. oh my gosh, how do I do this? Nobody's ever taught me how. To me, it's like, just getting started with it. The way that I work in a remote fashion allows me to capture video of my clients and provide them with feedback in that capacity. Um, but I just view it as a skill and we all start somewhere. You know, if it's the first time you've ever kicked a soccer ball, I'm not going to obsess and obsess and obsess about all the ways that you might potentially be doing it wrong. We're just going to move the needle and dial and improve the skill as, as you go. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, so let's talk a little bit like a class like body pump. Um, or I mean, I mean, I mean, I put down three classes, which are not, I understand they're not the same. It's body pump, CrossFit and Orange Theory, right? So those are very different. I mean, because Orange Theory has a lot of cardio built into kind of their strength moves. CrossFit is very pure kind of strength and body pump is a little both, right? So, um, I mean, do, are those helpful? And, and if so, I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about each of them and Talk about how they would fit into a running program if someone likes to do them. Yes. So I think they certainly can be helpful and it's going to depend on your goals as an athlete. Um, for running. So I think of like buckets, right? Uh -huh. We want some easy training. We want some hard training. We maybe want some moderate training. And all of that is going to encapsulate some of that high intensity effort that we need on our car cardiovascular system to, you know, improve our fitness, to improve our speed, whatever you want that to be. When I think of strength training, I think where a lot of people potentially get into trouble when we talk about injury risk is they, um, they do a lot of the high intensity work. So CrossFit, Orange Theory, and body pump. Sure. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I don't think that it affords the best opportunities for runners to be successful in injury risk reduction um, and improving their running related activities. So, you know, it kind of depends. Like if, if you're a really serious runner and you like that the most, CrossFit can be beneficial, but could we be achieving more if we just say, you know, I just want you to go do a heavy squat a heavy loaded step up and some marching drills. Like, 
could that be a little bit more bang for your buck sure. than going to CrossFit? I don't know. I don't think we have good answers to that either, but I'm trying to help runners stay healthy and reducing that injury risk means for me, educating them about how that intensity could be potentially detrimental to their running routines. Okay. Okay. Even so, though it's I mean, beneficial, I want to be clear, very beneficial to health and overall health and wellness. Sure. Sure. So if you're, I mean, so if you are a, um, maybe I love how you think about it, the buckets, you know, so if you are maybe not, um, you know, aiming for a half marathon or a PR or anything, but you're just kind of more of a recreational, I just want to run say 15 to 20 miles a week. Like it could fit into that, right. If you yeah. don't have goals and you take most of your runs easily, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Running goals. Right. But if, it, if you are on a path to, again, like maybe run your first marathon, like you're going to do, or, um, PR in a, try to go under two and a yes. half marathon or something like that. That's when you're already stressing your body enough. That's yes. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, and then you, you factor in time too, yeah, you absolutely. know, and like the strength training that I give my runners, I, I really want it, especially when they're in peak training to, to not take them any longer than 30 minutes, you yeah. know, and I know CrossFit workouts are known for like being fast, you know, yes. but you still, you got to go there. You gotta, you know, be, you're there for an hour regardless. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, you know, it just, it just is like a window of opportunity for somebody to, to improve. And I think CrossFit and all of those things potentially offer an early boost. Long term, I'm tending to move people towards simplicity, slow rhythmic movements, um, really geared towards their skills as runners. Okay. One of the questions we often get asked is, how do I get the stink out of my workout wear? We hear you, mother runner. After we work up a sweat, our athletic gear can reek, but stink be gone, we've found a solution. Wind Sports Detergent removes sweat, oils, bacteria, and salts from workout wear so it feels and smells fresh as new. The key to Win is how it lifts out oils. Let me take you through a bit of science. Wicking fabrics, like the ones most of us run in, attract oils. It's cruel irony that the very properties that allow synthetic fabrics to wick away moisture cause them to attract oils. Adding insult to injury, as bacteria from your skin consume these oils, they create gases which give synthetics that telltale <clears throat> sweaty smell. Win for the win. The active ingredients in win separate oils from synthetics. These oil-removing ingredients aren't found in most supermarket detergents. By removing oils, wind makes your apparel smell and perform like new. This is because in addition to causing odor, these oils impede performance. By removing them, wind makes your apparel wick better and last longer. And it works on any stinky stuff in your laundry. Dimity uses it on her daughter's volleyball pads, and we both use it on the covers of our dog beds. Wind stops stink in its tracks. Starting this month, a 1.5 ounce sample of wind is included in every order from our Mother Runner store. And you can save 20% off any Win products on Amazon using code AMRGOWIN. That's all one word. Limit one redemption per customer. Again, that code on Amazon is AMRGOWIN. A-M-R-G-O-W-I-N. So this might be a very hard question to answer, but I'm just curious, like, do you have favorite exercises for runners? And maybe talk through maybe the tissue you know, adaptation first and then strength and power? Yes. So I, I, do I, 
That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I always come back to the glute bridge. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a physical therapist, but I feel like glute bridges like freaking knock out everything and then they yes. get harder by putting on, you know, one legged. I mean, if one legged glute bridges could get easier ever, I would love that, right? <laughs> yes. So, yes. so actually, glute bridges are a staple in many of my athletes' programs. Um, I think they're a great exercise. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, it depends on where that person is at in their training and in their run history and injury history. Um, I really value squats. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think like it's such a simple exercise that anybody can do that. Um, you know, again, in terms of tissue capacity, it basically strengthens your entire lower extremity back and core. So you kind of get, it's a good complex maneuver for runners. Um, but in, in my run programming, a lot of what we're trying to do is keep runners in that upright posture and position. So I'm programming, programming in a fair bit of um, controlled step-ups into a march position, uh, maybe heavy-loaded farmer's carries, um, where we're working on just tall, upright posture. And all of these are going to address primarily lower extremity, um, tissue capacity, and strength. And so does upper extremity matter? Sure. You know, there are a lot of women who want that in there. I always want that in there. So, you know, they might get a press or a pull or something. Um, rows are beneficial. It's yeah. Gosh, basically everything. (laughs) Everything that works. Yeah. Well, and and that's a great answer. I mean, because really you can't go wrong, right? I mean, that's the good news. If you try anything, you're going to benefit somehow. Um, What about, I mean, so we speak so much about the core, right? In running and having a strong core. I mean, what are your go-tos for making sure that you've got um, stability in your, you know, from, from the bottom of your glutes up to, you know, I don't know, wherever you define that it ends, say ribs or whatever. So this is a really great question. I think Um, I have sort of a soapbox to go on about the core. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's hear it. So here's what I think about the core. I think that a lot of women tend to think and believe that their core is weak. Um, and certainly, you know, there might be times in our lives where it's not quite as robust as it has been in the past. Like after we've had a baby, for example, um, there's trauma that occurs and stretching that occurs and that takes time to bounce back to where you were. Um, but I tend to think that core isolated is completely unnecessary for women to, to succeed in their athletic endeavors. Um, so I don't tend to prescribe it, um, specifically. Okay. Unless I have a woman who like just really wants it in there, I'll put it in there. But generally I'm saying, you know, you're going to get a stronger core by running. You're going to get a stronger core by maybe doing a squat and doing some loaded carries. And I think that is going to move the needle better than if you're just, you know, doing a lot of ab work. So, okay. What is so planks? I mean, I, I mean, this planks is like, are great. Wait, you like planks? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, but see, I think of a plank as a core move, right? Yes. You think of it more as like a whole body move or what? No, I think, I think it's still a core move, okay. um, but it doesn't, it honestly doesn't show up in a lot of my athletes programs. Um, and, and how come just because they already, because they're yes, getting it somewhere else, they're getting it somewhere else. So say for example, that we're doing a loaded farmer's carry or a squat, in Mm -hmm. any capacity um they're getting the tissue benefits that i want which is like teaching them how to control their breath and that's a huge component in reducing incontinence and pelvic floor problems um versus doing a hard style plank for example or just a full plank now we're 
really holding that core, which can cause compressive forces through the pelvic floor and make that more difficult. Uh, so I tend to steer people that way, but again, it'll show up if somebody's like, you know, I really want to be doing these things and I'll throw it in there. And I think it's sure. still a, a valuable exercise to be doing. There's no, nothing wrong with it inherently. I just okay. don't want to feed into the narrative that women's cores are weak and that they're set up to be weak and that we need to be paying special attention to them. Well, and you know what? I mean, I, I want to have you back on. I was going to email you after this, but I found your Runner's World um, article. Or I think you wrote it initially on maybe on your website. And then it went to Runner's World about yeah. myths about female runners. And I would love yeah. to, because I feel like we need, this is only a half <laughs> like an hour show, but I want to circle back to those because I think it's, it was really eye-opening um, to me and really oh, great information. So we're going to put a bookmark in that and we'll come cool. back in a later episode. Yeah. Um, but, um, okay. So let's talk about, I mean, the biggest thing is, is people know that it is, it will be beneficial, right. In some way, whether it's yes. helping them with speed or lean muscle mass or keeping an injury at bay that they know, you know, if it's just getting on the floor and doing their clamshells, but rationally knowing it and actually working off that, you know, <laughs> acting on that thought are two different things. And I've seen it again and again, and I'm sure yes. you have too, you know? Um, yeah. So what are some of the tips or tricks or stuff that you use with your clients or yourself to, to make sure that you do find time for it? You know, I think it's just simplifying it and making it really easy and accessible for the person, um, which may mean like just doing body weight initially mm. and saying, you know, I only want you doing these three exercises just twice a week. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be super complex and convoluted. And I think that can overwhelm people. So the best thing we can do as coaches and clinicians is really just keep it basic and simple. Like these are the three things you're going to do don't worry about complicating it from there. And that, that gives people just a window into what it's like sure. um, and potentially boost their confidence to say, okay, that wasn't so bad. I can go try it again. Okay. And I mean, I like talk, talk to me about the difference of, okay, say there's three exercises you want them to do twice a week. So that's six sets of, six sets of exercises. What about if they do one set you know, say that they have six runs set up for that week. Could they do one set before every run? Is that as valuable as doing two sets of three? Uh, that's a great question. So probably not. Okay. Um, usually we want to be, you know, if you're loading it appropriately, you want to be doing it back to back because you want to stimulate that basically that muscle, muscle fatigue and that tissue overload. Okay. Um, and that's why, you know, when we first get started with stuff like this, we're often going to be sore um, because of tissue overload. And that's kind of what we want to aim to achieve. In terms of incorporating it with running, my general recommendation is like prioritize the running first. Okay. And, um, and then do the strength training after that. I think research shows if you want the to get the most bang for your buck, you want to leave about two to three hours between both workouts. But you know, I'm a human being, we're all human beings, like we <laughs> only have so much time. I'm sure I don't tend to push people towards two days. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that sounds like that's and that sounds in that general direction, right? Because yeah, you come home, especially from a winter run, you're going to want to shower. I mean, not that, yeah. the, not that the strength training is necessarily going to, uh, you know, work up a huge sweat. But yeah, that's that 
you're at least changing your clothes again, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you get out on your run, you finish that. And, you know, I would put it probably on an easier day and a shorter run day. And then you get home and you do, you know, your heavy squat, you do a heavy farmer's march and maybe a heavy step up. Um, and bam, that would you're be done. like, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, I know, again, I know you're not, you're not prescribing anything for anybody here because, um, but I mean, are we looking at like, are you more a fan? I mean, so you said heavy, so I'm thinking lower reps and yes. a couple sets or what do you, so like, yes. is it eight, is it six and how many sets are you talking about? So this correlates well with that pyramid again. Okay. Um, and this is something that I often teach to my athletes is okay. That bottom capacity level is, you know, kind of that lower rung is lower load but higher reps so anything from 8 to 15 repetitions when we move up into the strength realm we want to increase the load and lower the repetitions just like what you said to probably more like four to six repetitions somewhere in there and then power would be even lower repetitions and higher load the trick is you know you really don't want to elicit a ton of muscle soreness in runners because that makes running difficult um, it's certainly necessary at certain points in training cycles. So volume tends to stay relatively low, especially in peak training. So, you know, not going too much higher than total of 15 reps. So I might have an athlete do three sets of six repetitions or something like that, or um, three sets of four repetitions. Um, you know, I have an athlete right now who's in peak half marathon training and she's mm -hmm. doing four sets of three repetitions under heavy loads okay all right yeah. so it um, should kind of like ebb and flow a little bit sure with the, the with the um with the uh training cycle is what you're yeah. saying yeah yeah um okay cool um and so i mean you talk about being sore i always feel like when i'm sore that's a good thing right yeah. that means that something i've tapped into something that i hadn't tapped into recently is that a pretty layman's basic positive thing Yes. I mean, soreness is good. You know, it, it definitely uh, shows you that you've uh, pushed into tissue overload. Okay. Right? Um, but you can still find ways to push into tissue overload without getting sore. Uh, and that typically occurs when you've maintained consistency, right? So if I do a lift session, you know, for the first time in two years, there's no question I'm going to be sore. Sure, sure. <laughs> right? But if I maintain consistency with that over time, I probably won't be quite as sore, even if I progress um, the tissue capacity and overload. So, uh, it, you know, soreness is not a bad thing, but with runners, we're trying to, I'm trying to be somewhat careful about eliciting soreness um, because I don't want to increase injury risk. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I try to control the impossible, which is like <laughs> <laughs> runners are going to get injured. It's sure, just a sure. part of life. Yeah. But that's certainly a variable that I'm considering is like, I want to keep this person feeling as healthy as possible. And we know that sudden increases in workload like that are riskier than like really graded gradual exposure. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so just to circle back to one thing, I mean, because I was looking at your Instagram account um, prior, like to get ready for this interview and you have um, a couple, it's super helpful. You have a couple series on like um, uh, 
Achilles tendon stuff. Um, remind me of some other stuff. I know you have squat technique. What was? Yeah, I, God, I put a bunch of stuff in there, like Achilles tendon, iliotibial band. Oh, that's squat, right. Squat progressions. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't so I try to just. My page is meant to be like this is a resource. Sure, <laughs> That's what absolutely. I want it to be. <laughs> Which is good. But a lot of it, like on like on the Achilles ten, tendon stuff, like you're not, it's not heavy load stuff. It is more of the, in the physical therapy realm, right? Yeah. So it depends on, again, like where somebody is, but when it comes to tendinopathies, we have yeah. shown pretty strong evidence that heavy, slow resistance is critical to helping somebody get back to their activities. And so, um, like when, you know, when I hurt, had hurt my Achilles, for example, a couple years ago, um, I probably wouldn't have started at the top of the pyramid and said, you know, I'm going for the heaviest possible. Again, start from the bottom is what sure. we say. Like start from the bottom, you build capacity. That's going to be like your body weight style exercises. And then you just add from there, adding weights in your hands or on your back or whatever um, to build the tissue up. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. I just want to make sure, like, I, I don't want people to hear this because I mean, I've been, we've been preaching for so long about just being consistent with that body weight exercise. And I realize that, you know, there's definitely more rungs of a ladder to climb and some good stuff that can come from what, what we talked about, but you don't get to abandon it. Right. And just yeah. go right into the heavy lifting. Right. I mean, you, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you right. know, you might be like, having trouble walking for a couple of days <laughs> for a while yeah yeah well and going back to the accessibility right like what yeah. you know if there's a busy mom like what am i what can i do at home that will at least get me in the pyramid right that's not necessarily yes. it might not be farmers carry with kettlebells but it's exactly. not nothing right so. exactly you know and i think that's really like the take home is when you're doing that stuff it just feels good and it gives you some time to yourself yeah um and to me, like what's most important is that I'm working with people who are happy with what they're doing. If, if a woman I'm working with just hates strength training, we're not going to do it. And that's uh -huh. totally fine. Okay. Uh, she can be just as successful doing it that way. Now, I am a huge advocate for strength training for, again, more reasons than just um, like prevention and what I talked about, simply because you know, as women age, we're more prone to things like osteoporosis. And we know that strength training and resistance training can help um, combat some of the effects of that. And so I have a whole list of reasons why, but at the same time, I'm not living that person's life. And it's not my job to, um, you know, be a dictator in that sure. scenario. Yeah. Maybe you just gently coax her in the back door yes, all the time, that's right? What I do. It's like, <laughs> move you a little bit this way. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Ellie. You are really fun to talk to, really thank knowledgeable. You. And um, like I said, let's uh, let's queue up that other one um, in a couple months because we'd love to hear you talk about myths that I think a lot of us buy into, including people that have been athletes for a really long time. So. Yes, yes, I would love to. Thanks, Dimity. Awesome. Have a great day, and um, we will talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Bye.